This is episode 40 and it's coming at you like a Tasmanian devil. Welcome to Talking With Our Mouths Full. I'm Nightingale. And I'm Michael. And today we have an incredible guest with us. He's an actor, a filmmaker, a martial artist, yeah, an action star, and so much more. Yeah, right. He is the jabroni beaten, healthy eating, trailblazing, eyebrow raising, all around smacking down new people's champ. He is Taz Garcia. Uh, that was great, you guys. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, how are you? Uh, how are you doing, man? I'm great. I'm great, you guys. How are you doing? Oh man, I, I'm doing good. Uh, still at the office, woo, which is where I'm oh, recording fabulous. from today. Thank y'all. So, so Taz, how has the pandemic been for you? It's been great, and I know that sounds completely odd for most people, but it's been great. It's given me a chance to catch up with family that typically I'm away from for work uh, weeks or months at a time. It's given me a chance to revisit a lot of projects that I put on a back burner somewhere. And it really kind of let me pause for a second and really appreciate things that I took for granted. So pandemics, major events like wars, uh, they kind of give you that quick wake up call that everything that you wake up and you guarantee is going to be there could all be gone, could all be switched and changed immediately faster than you can blink. So mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's been a good kind of wake up call and a good way to kind of, all right, everything you put on a back burner, everything you felt comfortable with in a 1.0 version of you, it's time to push and go to a 2.0. Wonderful. So, and here's a hard hitting question for you. How has the food situation been for you during the pandemic? How has eating been? It's been it's been good. It's been good to be honest with you. When you are always on the go, uh, there's a lot of uh, quick grab and goes. There's a lot of oh, I gotta get here and from this interview to there, from this shoot to here. And if you don't have enough meals prepped, or if you <laughs> don't have the time except to switch your outfit and head off to a quick uh spot b or location c and so on it's always very quick and fast food and that adds up makes it really bad but now you're home so there's no excuse for you to not eat clean and uh if you aren't the best baker or chef it's a very good chance for you to pick up a new skill have you uh have you picked up any new uh cooking or baking skills during the pandemic uh, yeah, I, 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 I do have a background in, in uh, culinary arts. So it, oh, wow. it was one of those things where I was kind of like, okay, TikTok videos. Okay, we've got all this stuff on social media. And ooh, okay, yeah, all right, let's try this. And I have a sweet tooth. So I don't know, staying at home and seeing all these videos. I'm like, hmm, okay, I got to work out four days. And then on the Sunday, maybe I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this uh, new dessert that I've seen. It looks amazing. It's definitely 10,000 calories, but I'll put in the work to make sure I can have at least a little bite of that. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, no, no, definitely. My wife and I have been uh, cooking a lot more at home. We've experimented with recipes. My uh, wife actually has been cooking this amazing uh, chicken on a stick 
breaded with bran flakes recipe Mm -hmm. it's it's oh my god it's just Mm. so good and it's relatively healthy it's not too high in calories uh any highlights from your culinary journey through the pandemic uh there's one of them that was a cheat breakfast where uh, it, it can go both ways. If you're lactose or la- lactose tolerant or intolerant, uh, you get a piece of grilled cheese, you put it on a, on a stanking hot pan, you let it kind of start to melt away. And, um, and then uh, maybe on a side to that, you'll, you'll get a hot dog, start uh, putting that to, to kind of get a little golden uh, texture to it. You slice that open and then you put it on the cheese and you roll it all up together. Mm-hmm. and mm, great oh. and if you've got a, a a skewer or if you've got a top steak you can stick that right through and you can hold it like a cheesy corn dog very very good oh my god <laughs> I, I just ate lunch and now i'm hungry <laughs> <laughs> yep. um what what about eating out have you have you ordered in to- uh yeah, yeah, I've, I've, I've ordered in and honestly, a huge part of it is because I have a lot of friends of mine in the cafe restaurant F&B industry, and they've been hit very, very hard, yeah. very hard. So even even with a bunch of the platforms and apps that are out there, they can't really make uh, enough to stay afloat. And it's one of those things where I'm like, okay, let's let's get lunch here or brunch there or, you know, maybe a, a midnight snack yeah. <laughs> from, from this other place. And yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. I do order in every once in a while. Wow. Any, uh, any places you can recommend? Uh, ooh, those are uh, some tough ones. Uh, I like Miva Me. Miva Me has actually been hitting the spot pretty well. It's a... Uh, it's, it's kind of like a Lebanese, Jewish, Mediterranean kind of uh, cuisine. Very delicious flavors and uh, very aromatic when you open it up too. So it's kind of like, uh, they say you eat with your eyes and, and all your senses before it even gets to your mouth. Um, what else? What else? Uh, there's also Grillgate, which I've been in love with recently. And um, they've got Philly cheesesteaks and they've got amazing, amazing burgers as well. Yeah, we, uh, we actually featured them a few episodes ago. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah I love Yeah, them. And they yeah. just started uh, doing pizza. Their pizza yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. good. Yeah. Exactly. So it's, uh, there's, there's a few pretty good ones out there. Thank you. Well, uh, Nightingale actually has a place that uh, she's been getting food from. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just that one time. <laughs> just, just a one time. Well, well, you know, that's our food feature of the day. So let us know about it. Alrighty, so we are featuring Focom Gongbo, or as people, some people can say it, like Focombo, and it's located at 58 Beverly Hills Drive in North York, Ontario, near the intersection of Jane and Wilson. So this Vietnamese place has been around probably before I was born. Location has been in the same place, so you kind of know it's good because it's been living there for a while. It offers a huge variety of Vietnamese food. So when you look at their menu, it's going to get very overwhelming. But trust me, that is good for me because I like to know different things. I like to change it up, especially when you have the same thing all the time. You kind of need to change it up, you know? (laughs) So it is very helpful. And they have lots of things from savory meals to like drinks and dessert. So if you're ever in the North York area looking for a Vietnamese place that stands the test of time, you check out Phu Cong Ba. And again, they offer takeout during this time and located at the intersection of Jane and Wilson. So what I want to feature today is a dessert. 
it is a Vietnamese sweet pudding or porridge or soup like dessert. There's no real translation to what it is. It's called jail. And I got the banana one, which is not beach, not visually here right now. <laughs> Hopefully you have photos of this thing. Cause, yes, cause I you do. ate your food again. Again. I already know how to, yes, yes, yes. It must have been that good. It, it must have it, been that good. It was good, but I also know how to make it myself. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, so it is the English description for what I can find online. It is a Vietnamese banana, coconut, and tapioca dessert. There's really no translation to what this dish is. So if you're looking for it, you just have to say the full, what, what it, the description. People will be like, I get you. I got it. And it, you can have it hot or cold. I go for it both ways, depending on what I feel like. And it is for my plant-based friends. This is the dessert for you because it's just a coconut cream. So there's no products from animals. That's amazing. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want one so bad. It, yeah. It's kind of like the equivalent to, I think in Cantonese, tongsui. Oh so yeah. Tongsui. Like that dessert. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Nice. The mango sagos. Tongsui. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm, there I am. <laughs> okay. You into a Vietnamese food test? Absolutely. Absolutely. Everything we're, we're, from pho to maca to everything. <laughs> is there, especially, is there, especially when it's cold outside. Oh, that hits. Yeah. <laughs> any places you like to go? Uh, there's tons of places. Of course, all the 88s that are out there. <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not even going to say, but 88. <laughs> right we'll, we'll just leave it at that <laughs> there's so many if there's a number to it you gotta trust that one exactly. right absolutely, absolutely it's also very lucky in terms of chinese uh superstition 88 super yeah. rich yeah all right so let's get into like the the more interviewee part of this uh where were you born i was born in spain madrid oh wow mm-hmm. and uh did you grow up there as well no, <laughs> oh. I grew up around the world. And uh, my mother is French Egyptian. My father is Spanish who was working in Egypt. And when I was a kid, I relocated to the Gulf in a place called Qatar or Doha, which is 45 minutes away from Dubai. So that was the first chapter of my life. Um, and it took me to a... Uh, completely different turn than where I thought my life would go. We we went through the Gulf War, uh, um, uh, different people, different culture, different food, but it made me really, really have an open mind, open eyes, open concept mentality uh, to trying new things, being around new people, all the stuff that you see and hear in the media is one thing, but then when you're actually there, it's a completely different experience. So that's, that's kind of... Uh, the first of many chapters in my life. So, and I've been moving around ever since and ended up here in Toronto. How, uh, how many other places did you live before you, uh, you ended up in Toronto? Uh, probably 12. Wow. Yeah. So how was that? Like, it's great that you have like so many uh, diverse, I guess, cultures and, 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 and foods, I would assume uh, right. while you're growing up. So, did your parents try to instill, like, did they teach you Spanish? Like to teach that, sorry, to talk Spanish? Did they, are there any like Spanish or Egyptian traditions that you practiced that were consistent mm-hmm. as you moved around? 
Yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's 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 one of those things where really, you know, because my dad's the Spanish side, my mom's the Egyptian French side, and obviously there was even more roots uh, mm-hmm. through that. And if you look deep into the history of how you know, say the Egyptian uh, Egyptian side, you had. Uh, Greeks in there, you had Brits in there, you have French in there. So there's so many influences that were already kind of pre-embedded in some of the cultures. Uh, but I grew up very open-minded. I grew up where I, you know, I, I speak, read and write six languages. And um, it's, it's, it's always helped me. All the moving around truthfully helped me adapt my stomach, my body, my system, even my immune system to kind of accept all these different kind of cuisines, foods, where I've had people that if they drink a different water or from a different water source or have a completely different food or a different level of spicy, it could hit them really bad. But luckily, I was able to adapt all these different things at a young age and kind of, uh, I guess, modify my 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 internal uh, essence, I guess, to kind of function well wherever I was put. And, right. it, it, you know, in accordance, it really helped as well to adapt and be able to adjust and make friends very quick because uh, you're moving around so much. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's, it's one of those things where, for example, when I first got here, it was around right after high school time and everyone typically would, Hey, what college are you getting into? What university are you getting into? All that kind of stuff. Cool. We'll take the same program, take the same major, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, it was like, Oh man, I know barely anyone here. And definitely not from high school because I didn't go to high school here. And it was kind of like, okay, here's a reset point. Junior school going into, uh, you know, a, a, a more senior level. And you're kind of like, hmm, okay, here we go. Here's a reset button. Different curriculum, different system, different language sometimes, right? But uh, it helps you really adjust and adapt really, really quick on many, many levels. The food, the mentality, the language, and, and people skills. Did your family... Uh cook a lot of the local dishes and foods as you moved around or did you have things that you consistently cooked yeah yeah there was uh, see the thing is it's 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 kind of an advantage in a way where mediterranean cuisine in general whether that's greek moroccan egyptian uh even some of the persian um some of the afghan uh even portuguese it's a very similar kind of layout it's just the herbs that really identify it to a certain culture Mm-hmm. Uh, more or less, it's a very similar style of cooking the, the chicken, fish, the meat in general. Um, you know, you've got the rice and potatoes that could be a staple in a certain, uh, with a certain meal. Uh, if that's not there, then they've got the bread, <laughs> you know, but it's, it, it hasn't really changed much from one cuisine to the next between my parents, especially. So they would typically cook their favorites, whether it was a Spanish thing or an Egyptian thing or a French thing. And I think you would just see a little bit of a difference when it came to the desserts, Uh, but everything else in terms of cooking, it was, I think maybe more the presentation that was a little different, not so much the actual entrees. So uh, did you find, I know it opened, moving around a lot, it opened you up uh, as a person and in terms of uh, diversifying your your palate and uh, your mind. But did you find it hard at first when you moved around a lot and it got gradually easier? Has, or has it just been easy for you to transition from country to country? Uh, see, I think it's more or less a sense of security in a sense where it's kind of like, okay, you're at a very young and tender age. You're moving from point A to point B and you're mm-hmm. like, okay, 
are we going to settle here? Cool. All your toys, your books, school, all this kind of stuff. Oh, we're picking up and moving on again. Okay, here we go. All right. Are we going to, are we for real staying here now? So when I make these friends, I'm not going to say goodbye in two weeks. You know what I mean? And it was the same thing over and over and over again. And then I, when I got into pro sports, it was, that was a completely different thing that did the same thing to me. But this time it wasn't through my parents. It was through, now I left my parents too. And it was like, no, but at least I got a cheat sheet from being with them, you know? So once you made it to Toronto, did you, is this where you've been since or have you also moved around? Yeah, when I first got here, it was back in the early 2000s. And uh, I was like, all right, I'm almost 18. I'm going to be chilling here for a long time at least for the next decade. And I'm like, okay, fair enough. So did my university, did everything here, got my corporate jobs and everything here. And I was like, okay, I like it here. And um, what'd was, you study? What do you, uh, yeah, what'd you study? I majored in hospitality and tourism management and I minored in sales, marketing and psychology. And once you graduate, you start working in the corporate world. Yes, yes, because that was kind of the, you know, the path that a lot of the traditional parents were like, okay, after school, job, after this, that, after. but they knew I was going to break it at some point. <laughs> so then, like, but you, did you move around after that, or? Uh, yeah, moving around through work, especially through acting in the entertainment industry, right? So we'll go film in Malaysia, but I consider Toronto home base. So right. I'll go for months at a time, half a year at a time, but I always come back home. When did uh, pro sports happen? Uh, it happened when I was 11. Oh, that wow. Was, yeah. Yeah. So, so when I was what 11, did you, uh, what did you play? Uh, I was on two different paths and then it was a very uh, ultimate decision that had to be made. One of them was playing for Manchester United in the UK and wow the junior team and our seniors were David Beckham, Scholes, Schmeichel, York, all these guys. And um, the other side was ATP juniors for tennis. Wow. Um, I mean, you're not a, a tennis player or a football player now. So when did the, I guess, the change happen? When did you move away from the sports? When I came to Toronto. Got it. Okay. Yeah. 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 So when I got here, it was kind of the last nail in that coffin it was a completely different standard and i was like no but you know bmo bmo field didn't even exist the bmo field they didn't yeah, even yeah. have a home field at the time so you can only imagine you're coming from like manchester united and then you come here and they're like nope have, have you met the seniors at manchester united just yeah yeah we trained with them almost on a daily basis so we were basically sent to this um, it was almost like a boarding school, how it worked in Manchester. We would do all the sciences. We would do the math and English. And 75% of the school was focused on football or soccer. And uh, so we'd have, you know, every, every senior was assigned in different ways sometimes to train with them. So with Bex or David Beckham, we trained with them. Maybe 500 free kicks a day if we were assigned to, to do free kicks with them. And we would run 21 kilometers a day to warm up. Oh, my God. So, yeah, we do seven kilometers on, on turf, seven on the track outside, which was more like a dirt kind of. And, uh, and then we'd actually get on the grass field. And then we would start training. And if we messed up, we would do some more running after that. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, good time, times. And because you're a martial artist, did yes. that come around the same time or is that later? Yeah, martial arts. I, see, it's it's uh, 
it's a funny journey that the, the martial arts one. I dabbled into it by myself when I was around that age. One, my parents were already really committed with the with the sport, and um, and I was already hyper. So they're like, okay, if you learn martial arts, we're afraid you're going to go to school and decide to train whatever you're you're doing in class or at the dojo on your friends. You know, like, okay, you're. Ah. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 that's not. You know, no, that's not why I'm going to learn it. And they're like, yeah. So it took some time until I actually convinced them one day to literally just sit down. And I, I, I put a like a form together that I saw off of TV. They saw how passionate I was about it. And they're like, okay, well, here's the deal. We're going to enroll you in a class, whatever class you want, Taekwondo, Karate, whatever. And uh, if there's ever any problems because of martial arts at school, that's it. It's game over. And I was like, yep. Sure. So, <laughs> and uh, I don't think they regretted that decision. It became a lifestyle for me. So people do it like a lifestyle. People do it like a pastime or a way to stay fit. For me, it's, it's just been embedded in me my whole life. Uh, what did you train in? Uh, when I started off, I did Taekwondo, which I, I was like, yeah, I really like it, but I feel like there's other body parts that are kind of uh, omitted at this point. So I got into karate until I got my black belt. And then I got into a little bit of boxing, a little bit of wrestling. And uh, one of the coaches did capoeira, which I was like, capo who? And he's like, capoeira. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, it's like that breakdance fight guy in Tekken. He's like, okay, dodge these kicks. And I got one straight to the face. I was like, okay, this is like a very advanced, very unorthodox style of fighting. And uh, so I started picking that up. And at the same time, I did wushu and then the animal styles, like the dragon, the tiger, all this, because I started liking Jackie Chan and got into Wing Chun because I started watching more Bruce Lee movies and whatnot. So I did the Kung Fu, which kind of made sense because I saw like the snake and all the, all the different styles. And when I got into Capoeira, I was like, okay, yeah, there are styles that exist where it looks like you could be an animal or it looks like you could be dancing, but when you get into the, the, the philosophy behind it and the story, you're like, ooh, okay, that's why it was created that way. Okay, that's, that makes sense. If you're a slave and you're standing like this, you would get shot. So they had to find a way to kind of cover their tracks. Even up until now, if you're a cop, you're walking by and you see two people standing outside their cars like this, woo, woo, right? But if yeah. they're doing some very weird, unorthodox stance, you're like, oh, okay, they're just a bunch of weirdos, <laughs> right? <laughs> And uh, yeah, and then I did Capoeira for about 17 years after that, came to Toronto, started teaching it because it was a very unheard of style. And uh, yeah, that was just a martial arts journey over 20 were, years. Holy smokes. Yeah. Were you teaching it through university or after? No. no. So uh, I had a dojo. I had a, an actual academy in a school up until 2010. So I had it for about 10 years. So, okay. I guess moving back just a little from university and then going into the corporate world, what was the journey from there to becoming a prof uh, like a teacher, a performer and all that? See, it was always parallel things for me. It was just because I was in school, it didn't mean I couldn't do other things, right? So I, I was able to kind of be in school, but still train my body or still train martial arts or still teach martial arts. And sometimes in a way that would also fund my schooling. Right. So it was, it was, it was always parallel paths. It was never one or the other. It was always both together and same with my acting, which became a third parallel path, even when I was in school. And so uh, when did you start acting? Uh, I 
started taking it serious back in 04. Uh, booked a couple of gigs, got a call from a, from an agent at the time. They're like, you're great. Come in. And my dad said, yeah, they're a ripoff. And, uh, you know, I got my headshots at the time, started going the whole like classes, improv, monologues, one-on-one, this and that. And started saying, you know what, this is something I, I've always enjoyed since I was a kid, which is the art of performing. It doesn't matter if it was sports, if it was singing, if it was dancing, if it was, you know, uh, acting. It's just the, that entertainment factor. You know, it was just a gene that I had in me. And I was like, okay, this is something I'm going to do. When I was in school, 05, right before I graduated, I booked a gig for the Power Rangers. And I was like, yes, that's it. And I told my teachers, see ya, I'm out. I'm going to be a Power Ranger. And uh, they found out how much money it was going to make. They're like, damn you. You know, you're such a kid. You're still in school. You're making that much money. It's crazy. And you're going to have your own toys and whatnot. And then that got shot down because oh, no. I... Yeah, yeah, because everything was good. The audition went great. And um, they had the script. They had my passport to get me the visas and everything. We were heading off to shoot in New Zealand. And uh, when I went to pick up my passport with the visa on it, they're like, unfortunately, you're not black enough. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) They're like, yeah, you're not black enough. And uh, I was like, okay, well, when you first met me, I could see why because i can tan really easily um anyways long story short it ended up being the last generation of power rangers that was based on ethnicity so if you go back and you watch that one particular season it was yellow ranger was asian the you know you had the black ranger that was black you had the red that was half native and i was like ooh, <laughs> okay that's, and that's why that's yeah. why I didn't book it. okay okay got you so yeah that was uh that was one of my very first kind of rejections. Very blatant. You were so close to the line. They're like, nope, see you later. Bye. Yeah. So you never guarantee it. You will that always is... be a Power Ranger to me. <laughs> yeah. Now that we know that you, you made it that far. He is the Lost Ranger. I am the Lost Ranger. <laughs> the Lone Ranger. But hold on. There's a Lone Ranger out there. Fine, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So you're, you had a dojo until 2010. Why did you, like, you no longer have a dojo? Yeah, so around that that time, that's when, you know, it, 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 it really came down to a decision of this is where I'm really going to pursue my acting. And I've always been very big on communication. So I sat all my students down. I was like, listen, guys, all the students that are coming in or the new people that come in, if they're here to learn from the sensei, Sifu or master, it's okay for some schools to say it's fine if you learn from the number one student or the more advanced students while the teacher or master is gone. For me, it's not. Um, so here's the situation. I told them, they're like, okay, we totally respect it. And I, I suggested a few schools. I was like, if you guys want to continue training here, school A, B, and C, X, Y, Z, and you have my blessings to go and train. And I'm going to do all the talking if necessary to the other teachers. And that was it. That's when I really kind of went full force into my acting and a lot of stuff picked up since that time and you you've been very active since making that decision from then till now you've been in a lot of different projects but some of the things that we do want to talk of you about are i guess semi more recent so things like for example uh creating five films for no budget at all in the indie world upcoming projects maybe 
that uh, you're working on with like Jackie Chan and John Cena. Uh, mm -hmm. You also noted like six projects written since the pandemic. So can you talk uh, a bit about these that actually let's maybe start the five films on no budget. Yeah. What is that? Yeah. Okay. So I'm one of those people that if you tell me something can't be done, I kind of try and figure out why. I don't just take it and kind of just accept it. I'm like, well, you know what? If there's a will, there's a way. And obviously, being a performer, being an actor, you know there's a slow time. And you know you have to kind of hold on to life and hold on to everything with your own two hands and make it happen, put in the work, put in the hustle. And that's something that I probably knew from the pro sports, where no matter how good you were, I've seen David Beckham train day in, day out, and he was a reserve. I, and then he finally became a substitute. And then I saw him get famous in front of me because he was ready, because he didn't just wait there for somebody to say, hey, you're going to go in tomorrow, so get ready. No, he was ready. So when the opportunity came knocking, he was ready to go, right? Yeah. So I get it. I get it, right? You could be the most talented person, but you've got an agent or an agency that's got five people that are working. They've established a the chemistry. They know every single time how they're going to perform a certain consistency. And I was like, all right, it's time to prove myself. And no one's going to believe in me the same way I do. And I'm hungry. And I spoke to a bunch of my friends that were in film school and they said, man, you know what? You don't understand because you're an actor. So you just get hired, but we are getting into filmmaking. So we need money to make these movies. We have good ideas, good scripts, but we don't have money. We can't get the equipment. We can't get the tripods. We can't get the cameras. We can't get this, this, and that. I was like, you know what? Okay, I'm going to do something about it. And I wrote a film that was inspired by true events. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I knew I was going to see it from beginning to end. And then I gathered a bunch of my, my friends that were students or in the industry that I've worked with being an actor, whether it was a makeup artist, a hairstylist, wardrobe. And I was like, guys, here's a situation. I'm going to, I built this ship. I'm going to be the captain of it. I want you guys on board, but I want you guys to know that there's no pay. And I don't want you guys to give up your actual paid jobs. Okay. So I'm going to work around your schedules. If you are 12 to six, someone's nine to five, I'm going to work around you. Okay. Which was almost near impossible for the big scenes where we had 80 people, a hundred people, right? <laughs> you can imagine when it's your birthday and trying to get that amount of people all at the same time. Right. And yeah, the first one was born. Uh, it, it went from a short film to a feature film. It did really well. We had helicopters. We had police cars. There was no drones at the time. We had nightclubs. We had cafes. We had UFC hear word of it. And they started sponsoring us with some gear. And people are like, how the heck is what? No, no, there has to be a budget. At least $5,000. At least $10,000. Like, nope, zero. Okay. And they're like, how? How is it possible? You didn't even go to film school. And I was like, yeah, but I made it happen. Now, word travels really fast. It gets to the schools and the schools start contacting me and saying, hey, Taz, so we've heard about this movie. We want to give you a bursary or a grant for $5,000. They're like, nope, don't want it. They're like, 10, nope, 25, nope, don't want it, right? And I'm doing this for the students. I'm doing this to inspire them because one way I get it, with money comes convenience. But when you are at a time, say like COVID right now, you are capped. You can't go out. You can't be around that many people. You have to work with the cards you're dealt. You have to become resourceful and creative. Besides 
and outside of the box that you've always said, oh, well, yeah, okay, I can just go and pick that up. Now you can't. So what are you going to do? Oh, I can't go and pick up a, a, a tripod because 50 other hands touch this equipment. I'm going to use my stool in the meantime. I'm going to use a bunch of books that I'm going to stack up. And you start becoming really resourceful. And all these students are like, oh, my God, this is crazy. How come? Okay. And they start buying cameras and they start doing it. And I was like, that's the spirit. That's what you guys should do. You guys have the education, if anything. I didn't go to film school. You know how to break it down. You know how to storyboard this stuff. I'm learning it as I go. Right? That was my first one. It did really well. Uh, the second one was a short film that we, it's actually this one right here. Um, it, it was very 80s, very cheesy lines and everything. And then it got released on one of these guys. So we released it. I actually didn't plan on putting any of these in the interview, but see, it was a DVD. And when people saw this, they're like, oh my God, this is crazy. Who's your agent? How come you're doing all this stuff? What was your budget? 10,000? Zero. And we had police cars and we had a chase scene on the highway. So I always wanted to up myself. We had that 3D bullet that passed sideways and people are like, whoa, that's crazy. And then word traveled to the sound guy, the guy that's one man, one desire, that guy. And he did our voices for the trailer for free. He became a huge fan of ours. And I was like, you see guys, all you gotta do is do trying you're setting yourself for a 50-50 chance of failing. Just go and freaking do it. If you fall, you're going to know not to fall the same way next time. So when I nosedove into a feature film, my first one, I was like, oh, my God. Hold on a second. We focus so much on the cameras, the lenses, the gear, the lighting. Sound. What about sound? Oh, my God. You can have a movie that looks shaky and a movie with a, uh, a home-style video camcorder because that's the style of it, like a Blair Witch Project. But the sound, you can't work around. That's like, okay, second movie, third movie, for sure. Third one, Dead End, which is the one in, in, in between these guys. I wanted to put female uh, uh, lead characters in the movie. And I spoke to Grant people. I spoke to, I tried the Grant route. And I was like, hey, guys, the, 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 the stars are going to be females. I was like, nope, it's not billable. You can put them as damsel in distress. And this is Canadian. This is American producers all those companies that you can apply for grants and funds for. I was like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, it's just not banking. It's just not really, we can't really see it going anywhere. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to make it happen. And I had a friend of mine who is a bikini model and I made her look kick ass, kick beat, right? <laughs> and she, if, if, if you go and you check her out on Instagram, people are like, holy smokes, that's her? I'm like, yep. Not a day of fighting, not a day of martial arts, not a day of stunts, not a day of anything. And people, jaw dropped. Fast forward, we're shooting in Malaysia. This was a short film. It's about female assassins. It's doing really well. I'm in Malaysia shooting a movie with Vincent Ward, Brandon Ralph, all these guys. Um, a producer from LA comes in. So Taz, what have you been working on? And I show him this. And producers talk money. And I show him. He's like, how much do you spend on that? That looks really good. And I was like, mm, zero. I was like, really? That's crazy. My partner's coming here and I'm willing to give you 20 mil. And my partner will probably match me. And you know what? Since you're here, let me get on the phone real quick. And he gets on the phone. He's like, hey, babe, how's it going? Yeah. I, okay. I'm sitting here. One of the co-stars. He's really good. He's in this movie. We're just producing. I'm going to pass the phone over to him. He's a very nice guy. Just talk to him. I think there's a part you could be really, really good for. He passes the phone. I pick it up. Hello? And I heard him say, babe. So I was like, wife? Girlfriend, fiance, maybe Scarlett Johansson. Oh. 
right? And super sweet, super nice. And why? For her to play one of the main female assassins in the feature film I was looking to make based on the no-budget short film that I shot, right? She was up for it. Her agent turned it down because just then, that was the cusp of her becoming a pretty dominant character in the Avengers series, Mm. right? So that's why she didn't do it. But just to show you, not, 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 you know, not to toot any horns or anything, but just to show you that if you just do, it'll take you places. It's not about luck. It's about you putting in that legwork. You believe in yourself. You're hungry. Create these things. Even if you gather a bunch of pebbles, it's a stone. It's, 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 it's a step that you can use to go to the next and so on and so forth. It doesn't always have to be a perfect looking step or stair, but you could actually make it happen. And that was basically how I kind of kicked off my career and became a director and learned a lot of the traits by making lots of mistakes and falling many, many times. And people are like, this is insane. If he can do this for no money and producers like that, they're like, imagine if we give him something else, right? Imagine if we give him 50K or 100K, he's going to make it look like half a million. And then 2014, I had the World Cup FIFA contact me and say, so we hear you're the master of low budget. <laughs> and I was like, really? That's how you're going to start the conversation? <laughs> Anything? Um, and they, anyways, long story, I ended up directing and creating one of the official music videos for, for the World Cup that year, right? And once again, it's because of the work I created and the work I put in and the work I made possible for zero, right? And now it's such a great time because social media has made everybody a creator, a director, a filmmaker, a performer. It's a free platform where more and more people can get discovered, right? It's sure, saturated, but at the same time, all the stuff 10 years, 20 years ago, you didn't have, right? And our phones, they can shoot amazing Yeah. Right? Think of your phone. It can shoot the video. It can shoot the audio. You can edit one push of a button, everything, wherever you want it. Online, social media, whatever right? So this is a time where zero excuses. No one has anything, you know? Yeah. And you've been using, especially this pandemic, you've been using your time really, really well. You've done a lot of work. So let's talk about your projects you've written since the pandemic started. Um, Yeah. So I I wrote five scripts and uh, we started doing self-tape castings for it. Uh, Really cool. One of them I'm very excited about. It's about three female bank robbers very very fun very cool lots of action um and it's got a good message and a plot twist of course to make it exciting and uh we're i've got two rom-coms that are also happening as well and uh started writing a book one of four books four wow yeah so what's uh, what's this one about uh, the first book I hope to release, or I'm really working on releasing before the end of the year is, uh, no to woe budget. It's a pocket guidebook. Uh, it's not 300 pages. I want it to be something that anyone can pick up. Even a 10 year old can pick up and they can use it as a resource kind of guide. Okay. How do I film? What do I need in this bag with a very limited budget? If we don't have a location, what can we do? If we only have the sun to use, what can we do? You know, if, if we needed a tripod, but we needed to MacGyver something, what can we do? You know, film festivals, are they significant? Are they relevant? Are they 
becoming an old fashioned thing? What is it, right? So I'm talking everything. A to Z, pocket guide at any point in time when you're making your film, you're like, okay, where's the lighting? Okay, good. We've only got candles, flashlights. Cool. Okay, I know what to do. Great. It's kind of like a survival book. It's amazing. It's definitely something I want to pick up. I've been getting the filmmaking, so yeah, definitely yeah. definitely going to get a copy. Uh, yeah. and do you have a, a roadmap for the other three? Yeah, yeah. So uh, the other one is uh, Action for Film, and it's called Zero to Hero. And it talks about the difference of real fighting and real fighting, meaning film fighting, uh, how it's more of a dance, the safety, the Hong Kong style, the Hollywood style, and, uh, you know, camera angles. So it's a great book for somebody who's behind the camera and somebody who's in front of the camera as well. And uh, the two other books are, one is a, a kid book, uh, for children, which I'm looking to make into a series. And then the last book, which is actually the very first one I started writing back in 07, is about martial arts for everyday life. And it's beyond the dojo. Once you're done with the physical aspects of it and the punching and the kicks and the yelling and all the, the action, there's a philosophical side. There's a, a enlightenment side that I relate to anything from relationships to daily decisions Every day we face battles, every day we face challenges, which can correlate to how we feel when we're sparring or fighting. And I kind of relate how both of these things can happen where I'll give you an example. If you get punched in the face and we're standing up again and you could feel apprehensive and you could feel, ah, I don't want to get that same feeling again. You don't want to get hit in the face again. And that happens a lot of times if somebody say in a relationship gets hurt. Uh, they don't want to get that feeling again. And sometimes that puts up a wall that doesn't give them the chance to be seen truthfully as who they are 100% and doesn't allow the person to interact with them 100% because they put that barricade, that wall. Uh, I don't want to get hurt again because I just got hurt from so-and-so, you know? I did notice that uh, in terms of all the work that you do, sure, everything propels you forward. But I, I've noticed that there's a pattern of you being just extremely extremely giving and willing to help others so let's talk a bit about that talk about giving back and, and some of the charity work that you've done uh there's there's really a few drivers behind that and uh two of my biggest inspirations were my mom and my grandma and they were very giving people even with very little at times they were able to do that um, and then when I was a kid, I mentioned earlier, I went through war, which is a lot of stress. And it is something that is extremely dangerous, something I don't wish for anyone to go through. Um, you see a lot of kids now, maybe 11 years old, they're stressing. Oh, what? There's no Wi-Fi. Oh, my God. <laughs> right. At that time, we didn't even know, like even to relate it to the pandemic, you're just asked to stay inside and binge your shows or whatever. At that time, even staying indoors, you didn't know if you were safe. You didn't know if you would, uh, you know, be a target to something that's flying from above, whether intentional or accidental. Um, you know, blackout hours, you, there was no Wi-Fi, barely any internet. Even if you had a cell phone, even your neighbor may not have had a cell phone. So I've learned to value a lot of things. And I've learned that even when you get to the top, it's going to get really boring if you're up there by yourself. So... That's why it's always been, hey, you know what? What would I wish for if I was in this position? I would have wished for somebody, not necessarily to hold my hand, but at least point me in the right direction. And then I'll walk the rest of it. 
And that's basically why anything I've done truthfully and one of the biggest drivers why I continue to pursue this platform, the entertainment industry, is for that because it's one of the most efficient ways to connect with people across barriers, across countries, across walls, across oceans, and inspire them, right? So some of the, the, the like the, the foundations I've helped, say, for example, Jackie Chan's uh, Dragon Heart Foundation, Sick Kids Hospital, Missing Children's Society, Relay for Hope, Relay for Cancer, uh, uh, Princess Margaret Hospital Cancer Lodge, right? Just to mention a few. And any of the movies that I've done for zero budget, when we would screen it, we would sell out. We sold two theaters out for the briefcase, this one down here. Wow. Made $3,000. So ROI, return on investment, would have been amazing. I put nothing, I made that much money back. Every single penny was given to the ICU, the intensive care unit of Sick Kids Hospital. And the, the, the next one, Princess Margaret Hospital. The next one, which is about the assassins that were kidnapped at a young age and then trained to become these killers, uh, missing children's society, right? And that was the thing. And I, I've seen it, Jackie Chan's uh, foundation. It used to be built a, a school for a dollar and now it is the Dragon Heart Foundation, right? Where China and we would see it. And you'd see kids ready to, to, to jump out of their skin when they get a ruler with their own pencil. One they don't have to snip, you know, snap in half and here you go. Here's one for you, one for you. You know what I mean? It's yeah. all the thing. And, and, and that's truly why it's, it's huge for me, you know? So that's uh, absolutely amazing. So uh, as we're kind of wrapping up, you mentioned Jackie Chan and you're working with him on a project right now for, that's releasing next year. No, actually, we wrapped. Oh, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, we wrapped this movie. Uh, we shot. It's it's almost two years now because the pandemic just stole about a year of our time from uh, from uh, the release. And uh, yeah, so we shot it with Jackie Chan, John Cena, and uh, the guy that plays my boss. Very nice guy. Very talented. Uh, they, uh, um, Pilo Aspect. He's from Game of Thrones. And uh, obviously, there's a little bit of drama between the two guys at the beginning, uh, John Cena and Jackie Chan, and then they kind of work things out. And uh, they're after this kind of organization that's run by my boss, and I play his muscle. Nice. So we're looking forward to that. It says it's going to be released next year in China at some point, but we'll see what happens. What was it like working with, uh, with uh, Jackie Chan and John Cena? It, it's it's great honestly it's great very inspirational because you see people at their caliber their level still grinding still putting in the work and you're like listen you could just sit and people know who you are and you have Jackie going around collecting cans throwing it up in the recycle bin they'll come up to you and be like you were sitting here right this is your cup put it away it's kind of like your grandpa right okay this is your cup put a put your initial on it or put a number on it right and then rinse it and then put it in a cupboard. So that way you're not using 500 cups, right? He's super resourceful. We, we're shooting a bunch of scenes in the desert. So all the cans and bottles are in the, these coolers. And when the ice melts, he would 
actually like he could just stick a hand out and he's got like a swarm of people around him he, he he'll just pick up all that melted ice water put it in a water dispenser so we can use it to wash our hands before we eat right he's doing that if it's raining he's the first guy on top of everything pulling one side of the tarp you grab the other side pull it down right i got to eat his noodles which uh has been a freaking hilarious story that i've shared with much recent interviews uh but yeah overall it's been such a great experience and um it's 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 always very inspiring, you know. You you get to hear people in their twenties. Oh, I'm so old, ah, ah, ah. and then you see him. He's mid sixties, and he's still like, you know, bouncing around, jumping around. Doesn't need a megaphone or anything. You can hear him anywhere on the set. Very powerful. Yeah. All right. So, is there anything else that uh, maybe you want to plug or give a shout out to? Uh. Honestly, the biggest thing is follow me guys on Instagram. It's very, very simple. Taz Garcia official. Shoot me a message. I'm a normal human being. I love talking to you guys. I love hearing your stories. I love to see if I can help you in any way. There's tons of open castings I'm doing for all these projects I wrote. So don't be afraid to just in the comments, send me, Hey, looking to become a makeup artist. or always wish to become an actor, communicate and I'll see if I'll give you that chance that I, I would have wished somebody gave me and uh stay tuned for the books i'm going to be very excited once again i'm going to be launching all the info very soon on my social media especially instagram at tazgarciaofficial.com or tazgarcia.com which is my website and that's it that's awesome. it really taz thank you very much it was an yeah. absolute pleasure chatting with you we really appreciate that you are taking the time out of your extremely busy schedule to chat with us and uh hopefully uh we can have you back later on when when maybe your books have uh, been released and we can talk a bit about them as well i'd be i'd be more than happy more than honored uh to be here again and i'm very happy this finally happened we actually communicated yeah. awesome. I, I, we're we're extremely happy as well thank you again yeah. all right so nightingale how can people find you online Sing, sing, no. nightingale. Oh. <laughs> Y'all can find me on Instagram at night.noin. And what is our food feature again? Fokongwa at 58 Beverly Hills Drive, North York, Ontario, near the intersection of Jane and Wilson. Mm-hmm. And listeners, you can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter as at Michael C. W. Chan. Plus, you can check out my website at michaelchan.ca. We are still in the second wave and numbers are still going up. So as always, mask up, stay safe and stay Stay hungry. hungry. Yeah, I like that. I like it a lot. Yes. (laughs) This has been Talking With Our Mouthsful with Michael Chan and Nightingale Nguyen. Music by Harrison Amer, crafts by Janine Cantrell, photography by E, and voiceovers by me, Jessica Chan. If you enjoy our adventures, please consider following or subscribing to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Want to connect with us? Maybe even participate in our podcast? Look for us on Instagram and Twitter at at TWMF Podcast. And as always, stay hungry. <laughs>